um, this morning into Romans 8. Um, and uh, before we get started, I just will let you know that uh, uh, on the back, back there on the track rack, I made up some of our the Gospel of the Grace of God things. They're in different colors. There's green, blue, orange, yellow, and then regular white colors that are back there. So if you help yourself to those, if you'd like. Also, we have the new business cards there. And uh, next door is uh, the calendars for 2022. So uh, just know that there are things like that floating around now. And uh, I'll t say that to you guys because some of you leave after the, this the first hour. So, All right, uh, Romans chapter 8. We're going to go one more time here and really and look at the end of verse 39. Uh, so let's start reading in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And again, just kind of one more time to clean up verse 39, the end of the verse, and really just look at this issue about being separated from the love of God. And the fact is, is that this is a, the end of section 2, the end of the section of our identification doctrines, and again, just the foundational information. There's not a lot of details here in Romans 8, but there's a lot of introduction to, and then in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, even in Ephesians, he gives the details, begins to kind of build in. So really, I don't know if you've ever read, Rome, uh, read Ephesians and decided that, uh, realized that Paul anticipates you knowing the book of Romans. He doesn't say, uh, you, you think about Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's it. He doesn't go into anything like he did in Romans 1 to 5. Why? You need to know Romans 1 to 5. Why? It's foundation. Okay? It isn't that you can't go study it and look at it and move. It's, you need to have the foundation down. It's fascinating. I've I studied the book of Romans here uh, to teach, but then in other, th other areas, and you're always learning something new. So if someone ever said, well, you get through it, you can't move on to you get through this, you're never going to get through it to know it deeply. So get the foundation, go over, look. The best commentaries on the book of Romans is First and Second Corinthians and Galatians. So get over there, you look at it, you go back, and you're reminded. It's fascinating to me that Paul reminds the Corinthians and the Galatians constantly of stuff they should have learned in Romans, in the foundation. So as we look here, again, Paul is, beginning, is pressing into our thinking and into our understanding here that there's no enemy, there's no circumstance, there's no situation that can ever separate us in a real, tangible, practical, functional manner from the love of God. And he ends the, the, the section with, really, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Really, that is a great summation of the section, of section, of section 2 here, chapters 6, 7, and 8. And this morning, I just kind of want to go, kind of go through some things with you as we kind of wrap up this section, because next Sunday, the goal is to start the third section, chapter 9. And if you really get confused with 6, 7, and 8, you don't belong in 9, 10, and 11. You don't belong in 9, 10, and 11 until you understand who you are in 6, 7, and 8. And unfortunately... People run to chapter 10 and, oh, if I confess this and I do that, and you don't, can't do that unless you know who you are in Christ. Because instantly, what are you going to want to be? Spiritual Israel. You're going to want to be the Jew, spiritually speaking. 
okay? And you can't do that. You have to know who you are in Christ. We are to have a, verse 38 there, for I am persuaded. We are to have a functional awareness that sustains us in the light of the areas that could separate us, and that comes from not understanding who you are in Christ. Again, verse 35. Who, you go to verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So we have the for us doctrines, and then we have the against us doctrines, and we have those for who's. And again, the adversary is the ringleader, but you yourself can be your own worst enemy in the issue of improper thinking. And in verse 7, I'm sorry, in verse 35, he lists those seven areas of personal hardship, personal anxieties, personal uh, economic hardships, per, uh, societal chaos around you and, and danger, the peril there. And then you have the governmental peril with the uh, uh, danger with the sword aspect reference. So then you have in verse 38 and 39 those ten agents, those ten creatures that are uh, involved in the separating us functionally from the love of God. Now, positionally, you never leave who you are in Christ. You're sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit. You're, adop you're, you're adopted. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You never lose the position of who you are, but we can lose the functionality of it and functioning as who we are in Christ. And that's what Paul's driving home. The, the issue here, the overriding idea, again, in verse 38, is I am persuaded. Beyond doubt, belief beyond doubt. I, I've heard that defined as, so I wrote that down. You know, Belief beyond doubt, a, a persuasion, an understanding regarding the love of God. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes up at us, whatever the circumstance, and you know, the last year, year and a half, two years, I guess, it's been, there's been a lot thrown at, at society, at humanity. And how do you respond to it? Well, you can go A, you can go B, you can see, you know, you can do whatever. But the issue is, is you'd never... There is no distance between you and God in God's eyes. Now, in your eyes, sometimes there is distance, and you can get there, but not in God's eyes. God's eye, you, you are right there with him. Why? Because of chapter 6 in the code, death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, so there's, so there's this constant uh, tug here about, hey, there's nothing that can come up that will separate you from the love of God. You, you know, we do that ourselves. Come over to chapter 5. I, I was thinking about this last night as I was sitting there watching the football game. We can, in our own thinking, begin to separate ourselves away from who we are in Christ, the love of God, because we can then play the, well, what if game. Do you know there's no what ifs in the Bible? It's black and white, <laughs> you know? I made a comment a couple Sundays ago, a couple months ago maybe now. Uh, God hates sin. You know why he hates sin? Because it separates you from the things that he has prepared for them that love him. That's what sin does. Now, he paid the penalty of sin. That's what we're talking But he hates sin in the believer's life. You know why? Because it separates you away from, 1 Corinthians 2 there, Verse 9, it separates you away from the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Because if you're sinning, then what are you not doing? You're not living as who you are in Christ. You're doing something else. James says a, a, a double-minded man is unstable in his ways. You can't be a Bible believer and be religious. They don't work. doesn't work. Because a Bible belie believing the Bible is going to tell you what? That's bad news. So... When you begin, but we do that to ourselves. God says, I love you. I died for you. Again, that stuff in Romans 8 there. He spared not his own son. He delivered him up. Look at what he did for you to prove his love for you. And I want to just kind of talk, uh, feather that out a little bit with you this morning. In chapter 5 of Romans, in verse 5, we are 
the first time we are introduced to the love of God in a, in a very impactful manner. He says, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, I say that first time because when you come to Scripture, what's the first book in the edification process? Romans. So you're in Romans. So here's a lot of first things in Romans for us to get. So the love of God. The first time that we're made aware of the fact about concerning the love of God, Paul says that it is shed abroad in our emotions. Oh, no. It didn't say that, did it? It said shed abroad where? In our hearts. So when we talk about the love of God, we're not just talking about emotion, sentiment, but rather we're talking about provision and resources. And when the love of God is shed abroad in our heart, there's a very real objective manner and way in which the love of God is shed abroad. It's not over here in our emotion. It's in, it's rather, it's in our heart. It's in the realm of our thinking. Now, emotions are there, but when God's dealing with you, by the way, it's shed abroad, shed abroad, every nook and cranny. You know, Linda's painting the wall at the house, and that paint goes everywhere, sucked down in. I mean, we haven't painted since 1998. The kids are finally out, so now we can paint the house, you know. And after we got, she got done, she goes, I am never painting this again. So now it's going to have to go another 20 years or so, you know. Or, what's that? Okay, she'll be dead, she says, all right. But see, the thing is, is when you paint and that wall is thirsty, it just what? Soaks into every nook and cranny. We took some old barn wood from Linda's family's farm out of Missouri and we made a headboard out of it and when you begin to you know skin it down and and, and then begin to put apply the 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 lacquer and all that to it to smooth it out and to do all everything it just soaks it up like a sponge that's what the love of God does but it does it where in your heart in the realm of your thinking come over to chapter six just think about the this issue about our heart Chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from where? The heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered you. So your heart has the capacity to what? Obey. So it's not emotion. We're not, when we talk about the love of God, we're not talking about the emotion of love and the sentiment of love. He has that for you. I, I, okay, Romans 5, verse 8, but God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He, he loved humanity. He did that out of love. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But rather, when he talks here about the love of God shed abroad in your hearts, and what Paul's getting at in Romans 8 about you can't be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, he's not talking about emotion. He's talking about thinking and how you think about things and process down through it. Come over to chapter 10 of Romans. You see, God does love us. And, and by the way, we can reflect that love in our emotions. But we do it from an understanding of the deep love that he has for us, the value he has for us. You know, when you love something, you value it, you protect it. You know, you think about your spouse, you think about your children, you think about your dogs and your cats and your animals and all that. You, you value, so what do you do? You protect them. And that's a, an emotion of love that has gripped your heart for an understanding. So we can reflect his love in our emotions, but it only comes from an understanding of his deep love, his deep value that he has for us. Look at Romans 10. Look at verse 9. Again, here's this verse that everybody, you know, loses their, their, gonker, their, their minds over. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine, what? Heart, that God hath raised him up from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Again, our heart has the ability to 
believe. Come back to Romans 8. So when we find ourselves in verse 35, when we find ourselves in the the areas, the tribulation, the distress, the persecution, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sort of really potential devastating trouble, when these are the areas where the adversary is going to attack. Often, how do we respond? What's our knee-jerk reaction? It's emotion. Okay? That's natural. That's normal. But what Paul's trying to crystallize and finalize in our thinking is have that if you need it, or really don't have that. Respond from a place of more than conquerors. Because when you respond in your emotions, you can become disoriented. You can become confused. You can, you can actually literally be become enraged. And when we respond our, that way, do you know what we do? We leave Romans 6, 7, and 8 functionally. We leave that identity of who we have in Christ, and then we begin to put distance between us and God in our own thinking. If God really loved me, how could he let this happen to me? Now, you may say, well, I'll never say that. Baloney, in the heat of the moment, I bet you say it. Because what, what are you running by? That emotion. Now, again, emotions, there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, <laughs> they are wonderful things when they're under the control of the Word of God, the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Come back with me to Proverbs 23. And the reason I say all of this is because of a verse like this, Proverbs 23, 7. Your emotions can cause us to think that there is distance between God and I when God says what? There is no distance. Okay? Look, if you will, here at Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So as he thinketh in his heart, what? So is he. As man thinketh in his heart, what is he? That's how he is. So if your heart, when we understand, the, go back to Romans 8, when we understand the love of God is shed abroad, not in the realm of our feeling, feelings, okay, but rather in our thinking and in our understanding, then guess what? We then can't be separated from the love of God, regardless of circumstances and situations, or even when the enemy is there. Because that understanding, the knowledge of, it grips our hearts, it sustains us in our thinking. So it's, it's not I feel it, but it's rather I think it. I'm fully aware of the level of the love that God has for me. I'm fully aware of that. I, I don't feel it. By the way, when you got saved, did you feel the Holy Spirit come in and do his circumcision and regeneration and baptism and all that on you? No, you didn't feel it. You know how you know that? Studying the Word of God. Coming in, studying, going, wow, look at that. Did you feel the... Blessed with all spiritual blessings? No. But how do you know you have it? With the heart, man what? Believes. That's the issue. So, and he says here in verse 39, shall uh, be able to separate us. Let's think about that for a minute. Separate. We've seen it back in verse 35. Who shall separate us from? To separate something is to create space between. Okay? To create distance or a span between things. You take your fingers and you separate them. What would you do? You put a space there. All right? I separate myself from you. I put up my plexiglass and boom, we're separated. 
there's a space there. Again, we are not talking positionally, we're talking functionally. I'm going to say that a thousand times. Because positionally, you don't lose it. Functionality, the way you live your life, that's where you begin to experience this. So to be separated from the love of God would be to have an expanse, some space or distance between you and God. And again, as a believer, there and in God's eyes, there is no space, there is no distance. Rather, we are stuck, you know, stuck on him. <laughs> okay? Over there in Colossians. I, I look over at Colossians 3. I, just a wonderful way that Paul says some of this, just in the terminology here. Uh, 3.14. Uh, and above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. You see that bond? Have you ever used monkey glue? You've seen the commercial, monkey glue? That's the idea, bond, bound. You can't lose it. That's who you are in Christ. By the way, if you run your eye back up to verse uh, 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, I mean, above all of that, wow, look at that list in 12 and 13. And above all that, put on what? Charity, that love in action, that issue of maturity, taking the word and going and doing. So when you come back in here and in, in where we're at in Romans 8, that issue of separation, it, it has to do with an issue here of creating some space, some distance. And again, in God's mind, his thinking, there is none of that. We're stuck. But having... but functionality-wise, you know what? There can be distance between you and God, but it's as a result of the circumstances of life come up, and they can cause us to begin to think what? God doesn't love me. Exactly. If, if I was doing this, why does bad things happen to good people? The, the biggest question of all. Why does that happen? What's going on? Why, why me, Lord? What did I do? You know? I go to church, I'm reading my Bible three times a day, I'm in Bible study here, I'm online, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, but why does it keep doing And what we begin to do is in our thinking, we begin to let the emotion get a grip in there, and then the next thing you know, you've spun out so much that you quit coming to church. You quit watching online, you quit studying, you quit reading, because you go, why bother? Look, if I, I did this... Look back with me at Jeremiah 44. Jeremiah 44. We didn't read this last Sunday, but it's a very interesting kind of a illustration of this. All of the areas of separation there in Romans 8, as you're finding Jeremiah 44, all of the areas of separation and the enemies that he lists, all of that that can cause the separation, that can cause us to begin to live apart from the life of Christ. And that's really where we're at here. Look at Jeremiah 44. Just jumping in here, Jeremiah, look at verse 16, verse 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt and Pathros, answered Jeremiah, saying, As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us in the name of the Lord, we will not hearken unto thee. <laughs> Jeremiah just told them, you're going to get it. And they said, well, we're not going to do it. But we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense unto the queen of heaven, to pour out drink offerings unto her, as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Now watch. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. When we were underneath that religious system over there, life was good. Now watch verse 18. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven, 
and to pour out drink offerings unto her. We have wanted all things and have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. And when we burned incense to the queen of heaven and poured out drink offerings unto her, did we make her cakes to worship her and pour out drink offerings unto her without our men? Then Jeremiah said unto all the people, and off he goes with them. What are they saying? When we were doing it our way, life was good. But man, when we came over here and to get back where we're supposed to be as God's people, life it stinks. Tribulations and persecutions and famines and peril and the sword, all of that just come right on us. Nakedness and fam, you know, boom. And so you know what? Forget the Bible. Forget the Word of God. Forget who we are in Christ. And let's just get back over here living life the way we want to. Now go back to Romans 8. See, that's the, that's the issue here. Because we can, we can cause functionally again, a distance, that, and that is a result of the circumstances of life. And what, what these, the list in 35 and the list in 38 are doing to you is that they're causing you to live independently of God. All of the areas of separation, all of the enemies listed, they can cause you to go live separate from the life of Christ. And it will dig in there. And we have to be on guard against that. Because we can choose to live independently of God and the resources that we have in him and the resources that we now know because what's Paul been telling us in 6, 7, and 8? Here's who you are. These identification truths. And when you look out there, you think about yourself. I do. I check me every day. Okay, every morning, boom, checkmate. Every evening, checkmate. Why? Because I don't want to be leaving the life that I have in Christ voluntarily, independently, of my own choosing, because that's what happens. The attack of the adversary. Come back with me to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. The attack of the adversary on you as a believer, as a member of the church, the body of Christ, is with the goal to cause you, the believer, to live life apart from who you are in Christ. It's to cause you to live, to live separate from the love of God, to leave a life. that you have in Christ to go live a life independent of God. Look at Daniel 7. Look at verse 25. Now, this is talking about the adversary, 70th week of Daniel stuff, So, but I just want you to see the adversary's mode of, operan, of operation. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall, what? Wear out the saints of the Most High. How does he work? He doesn't just come up and say one time to you, hey, how you doing? What's he going to do to you? He's going to pound on you. He's going to wear you out. He's going to come in with the goal of wearing down the saints. That's his tactic. That's what Romans 8.35 is doing. The tribulation, the persecution, the distress, the famine, the nakedness, the peril, the sword. All of that is an ongoing basis. And it's an attack. And all he's trying to do is beat you down till you say, Uncle, I'm done trying to live this. And I'm just going to go back to living the way I was before I got saved. Before I come to understand the word rightly divided. Before Rick sat here for 94 lessons pounding on me about this. See, Before that. And what happens, uh, come back to Galatians 1. That's the think about the word uh, the devil, uh, uh, diablos in the the Greek, if you will. Here's your Greek lesson for today. There you go. You're welcome. All right. When you think about that word devil and diablos, it is to it means literally to separate, to cause to 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 move away from, and it's fascinating that that's exactly what he's trying to do to you. He knows positionally he can't get you out of Christ. He knows that sometimes better than you know that. 
but he can functionally get you out of the game, and how do we do it? He's going to separate us to cause a distance, and we're going to voluntarily do it. Look at Galatians 1, verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon left him that called you. No, what does it say? Removed. Doesn't say left. Removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ and to another gospel. You see that removed? They allowed themselves to be removed from Paul, from the grace of Christ, which is, i.e., the love of God. They've, they, there is a deliberate decision on their part to remove themselves. So it's more than just leaving. They deliberately decided to go. They left. Voluntarily, uh, we'll see it in a minute in Colossians. The adversary has come up against them. Now, it's a guy, verse 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you. See, the some, there's people, the agents of the adversary. In this case in Galatians, when you go back into Acts and you read the history and the, around this time, it's the Jews. And what's Satan doing with them? He's using them in their Jews' religion. And what are they causing? They're causing trouble. Now, this guy, my own personal opinion is that the, these folks coming out of Corinth have followed Paul. He talks about them there at the end of 2 Corinthians 10 and the first part of 11. They've come out. They've attacked him everywhere he goes. This guy shows up and causes trouble. And you know what it is? We got more evidence. We got Moses and the Old Testament that says that what Paul's teaching is wrong. So who are you going to believe? Some whack job over here who was killing you guys, or are you going to believe the word of God? That's what, what it, look at what he says there. They would trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other what? Notice that. Preach any other gospel unto you than which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. So if we come and preach something different than what we've preached before, the accursed there over in chapter 5 talks about being cut off. Okay, But now look at verse 8. But though, I'm sorry, verse 9, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that, notice, ye have received. So the guy comes in, he's preaching law and legalism and kingdom program, Israel's program, and what did they do? They received it. Then what's going to happen? Let him be accursed. How were they removed? They received bad doctrine. And you know what it did? It caused a separation to happen. They were removed from Paul. They were removed from the grace of Christ. They're removed from the love of God. You follow that? Voluntarily they did this. This guy didn't do anything. Come over to chapter 5 of Galatians. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Galatians 5, uh, well, start verse 7. Galatians 5, 7. Ye did run well. They started good. They started, Galatians 3, right where they're supposed to be. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? You see, when that guy showed up preaching legalism and the law program in Israel, they knew better. They should have stopped him, said, thank you, you know, we'll buy you lunch and I'll get out. Don't come back. No more, no more, no more. But they didn't, they entertained it. Now watch verse 8. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Who called them? Paul did, Romans 1, or Galatians 1. He called them under the grace of Christ. He said, this persuasion didn't come from me. It came from guys you should not have been listening to. They came from the, enemy, the, the adversary, the enemy. Are you guys following what he's doing here? This is bad news, folks. How does, what, notice the tactic. By the way, verse 9, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through who? Through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that trouble you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. You know what Paul was hoping for them to do? 
correction, book of correction, correct the bad doctrine, get it right, get back where you're supposed to be. That's why he'll say to them there, uh, you know, verse 19 of chapter 4, my little children among whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. You guys started well, but you know what? You got off, and I know that the Lord, if you would just get back to the sound doctrine and the Lord, the edification process will work in you, and it will correct the deal. That's how it is. Now, go back to chapter 3 of Galatians, and just notice the tactic here. Galatians 3. So, the idea of being separated, it's the idea of being removed, that distance, that space there, but it comes from a voluntary, it comes from you being, you making the choice and the decision to go. In other words, nobody's making you. The devil ain't making you do nothing. You've chosen to do it. 3-1. Oh, foolish Galatians. I love that. Foolish. Slow-minded. Slow thinking. I think about the sloth, you know, just slow. Who hath bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. That issue of bewitchment, the, the issue of being bewitched, it, you go back to 1 Samuel 28 and you see the witch of Endor, and what the bewitching is is the resurrection of something that God said was dead. So it's really... It's resurrecting something that's dead. That's what the witch of Endor does. Now, what has God said is dead? The law. Romans 7. You're dead. So what did they do? They resurrected it up. They said, well, we won't. we're not going to live in our identity and our relationship and our identity with the law. We're going to resurrect that bad boy. And Paul says... This only, verse 2, would I learn of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Wait a minute, guys. How did, did faith get you saved or was it by doing the, the, the work of the law? Now, if they're honest, if the Galatians are honest with themselves, it would be what? Hearing of faith. But they're not honest. Why? They're, they're over here wanting to go back to the way it used to be. And you know what it used to be? Tell me what to do, preacher, and I'll get her done. Perform. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. So strike one, strike two. Oh, by the way, strike three, and now you're in the principal's office. See, that's what they want. They, that's, all of man wants that. Tell me what to do, and we'll do that. God's grace says, I've done it for you. Believe me, trust me, now go live in that identity. Keep reading. I, I just look at verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Well, that's Romans 8. You're dead to the flesh. Your identity with your flesh is a dead man. You're, you're, you got that power source of the Holy Spirit. There you are. You see, when our identity, I mean, keep reading, have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain. He therefore that ministered to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by the works of the, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of, you know, just bringing them right back. You guys have got off. So, you come back over there to chapter 5 again. What did they do here? Chapter 5, look at verse 4. Well, verse 2. Well, verse 1, what the heck. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What did they do? They, put the, they resurrected the dead thing, the law. They put a yoke back on them. What did that yoke do to that ox as he works? Tells him which way to go. Tells him when he's done. Tells him this, tells him that. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye, believe, if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are what? 
fallen from grace. What causes you to fall from the grace of God? The love of Christ, the love of God, the grace of Christ. What causes that? Going back to somewhere that you, you're not supposed to be. See, these folks know that. I, Paul, say to you. Paul's taught them. He's instructed them. And what did they do? They went back over here to a position that they were never supposed to be in, and they did it voluntarily. Nobody pulled them. Nobody pushed them. Nobody did. They, they went on of their own accord. And the result is, is that they have fallen from the grace of Christ. Now, positionally, who are they? They're justified. They're members of the body of Christ. They don't lose that, but functioning how? As foolish Galatians. They're functioning poorly. So the life of Christ, when he says there that Christ has become of no effect unto you, that resource that we're supposed to have on board, Romans 6, 7, and 8, all of that Ephesians 1, Colossians 2 stuff, we're supposed to have on board in our life, working, learning, functioning, growing, is what? It's dormant. There's nothing going on. You see the beautiful grass out front. Come over to Colossians 2. You know, if we didn't plant the winter grass, do you know what that would be out there? It would be yuck, is right. <laughs> it would be just dead Bermuda grass, right? Until you do what with it? Put a little life on her with some water, you know, and the heat, and all, you know, the whole biology of it. But the thing is, is that's what's happening to you. You resurrect, you, you and we're talking functionally. Positionally, you can't lose anything. But functionally, you can fall from the grace of Christ. And you can live in a, a, a life of separation. But who did it? You do it. You do it voluntarily to go live independently of God. Look at Colossians 2. I'm sorry, Colossians 1. And notice verse 23. Again, I just want you to catch a, a phrase here. If you continue in the faith, great, grounded and settled... And be not moved away. See that phrase, be not moved away? And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached and so on. Notice that. Be not what? Moved away. The adversary wants you to be moved away. To be removed. And what Paul's going to hammer down in here is he's going to say, I know don't be removed, okay? Now, you've got Colossians. Hold on to chapter 2. Run back with me to 2 Corinthians 2. Just real quick, 2 Corinthians 2 and verse number 11. 2 Corinthians 2, because what Paul's going to do in Colossians is he's going to help the Colossians understand how they have become moved away, okay? And he, in Colossians, he's literally going to lay out four basic tactics of the adversary here that are designed to move you away from that great truth of the book of Ephesians, okay? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his, what? Devices. That's what Colossians 2 is going to give us, other passages and so forth. We just looked there in Galatians and stuff. But notice, when he says verse 11, it's in the context of not forgiving. Verse 6, sufficient to such a man is the punishment which was in which was inflicted of many. In other words, the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 that they finally kicked out, he's gone out, he's made restitution, he's fixed everything, and he's wanting back into the local assembly, and they won't let him back in. They won't forgive him, exactly. So Paul says, because you're not forgiving the guy, guess what Satan can do now? He has an avenue in to take advantage of you. 
Verse 10, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. Verse 9, for to this end also did I write that I may know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. Paul's telling them, go back to Galatians 2, look guys, you need to forgive the guy, restore him back into the fellowship there at Corinth, otherwise, you know what's going to happen? Satan's going to get an avenue in there, and you know what, you know what forgiveness, uh, lack of forgiveness brings? Resentment. And one group's going to resent the other group, and now what do we got? We have a divided group again. We've got the heavy side and the light side, you know. And you, so he's like, don't do But the thing is, is don't be ignorant of how he's working. How, nobody makes the Corinthians do anything. They have to do what? Decide to do. Now look at Colossians 2. We'll do these quickly, and you can study out. It's inter- Well, look at verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing, what? Words. There's a beguilement here. There's a tactic of the issue of to deceive. You think about uh, 2 Corinthians 11 there, verse 3, where Paul says, as the serpent beguiled Eve. What's he going to do? Corrupt your mind from what? The simplicity that's in Christ. So the beguilement of Eve has to do with the simplicity that's in Christ. Who was she back here in Genesis 2? Before, well, before Genesis 3, there where she fell. What was she? She was in Christ. That's what she was. He deceived her with what? Enticing words. He says there's something God doesn't, we were talking about the second hour, there's something that God doesn't want you to know. That's why he told you you can't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't want, but if you join me, I'll get you the decoder ring and the code and you can know it. And she said, yeah, I'd like to know that. I'd like to be like a God, little g. So he, but notice here in 2.4, what's he using? enticing words. Paul says we use plainness of speech. They say that his appearance is shocking, but his writings are what? Heavy and weighty. And he's talking about rudiments. They say his speech is rude. It isn't that he's, he's every other word's a swear word or he's crude. It's rude, rudimentary. Elementary stuff, right there across. I was watching the baseball game last night. That guy struck out the side, came in, two men on, and struck him out. Three batters up, three batters down, struck him out. And you know what he did? He never put the ball waist high. It was down, it was up, it was over. See, Paul says, nope, we put it waist high so you can hit the ball out of the ballpark. Hit a home run every time. Rudimentary, not rude and crude and, you know, nasty, but just rude, rudimentary, right there. And that guy was throwing 99 miles an hour. Paul would have put it up there at like 70 so you could hit it. See, that's what he's doing here. The adversary comes in, but notice what he uses, enticing words. By the way, the answer to it is in verse 5, 6, and 7. You read that, you can see that. Verse 8, here's the second one. Beware lest any man, what? Spoil you. If he's spoiling you, what has he done to you? He's defeated you. You're now separated from. But how did he do it? Through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men and after the rudiments of the world. And not after Christ. Philosophy, that love of wisdom, Proverbs calls it. Proverbs 18, he says, man loves wisdom, philosophy. You know how, have you ever read a philosophy book? I have. You know what you got to understand? Big words. Enticing words. They make you feel, woohoo. You know, you get into Plato's golden mean, and you go, oh, mean, what? <laughs> you know, and all this stuff, and you go, huh, and Socrates is up here, and Aristotle's down over there, and the next thing you know, you're going, holy cow, my head's spinning. So they got to be right because they talk so eloquently. 
vain deceit. 2 Corinthians 4 over there, he talks about the ministry, and he talks about going along and doing things deceitfully. And then the rudiments of the world, there they are, the rudiments, the basic workings. But notice, and not after who? Christ. Verse 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15, answer how not to be spoiled. Where are you to be? In Christ. That's where you're to be. Verse 9 and 10 there, you're complete in him which is the head. You want to, be, you want to stay where you belong. Don't leave that. Number next, by the way, verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. That's how all of this is answered. It's staying. It's, it's learning. It's living in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is what this is. It's learning and staying in the the great doctrine of Ephesians about the heavenly places and what's going to the big picture for us. Look at verse 16. Here's number three. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Now where are you? Now you're back in the wrong program. Now you're, you violated Romans 7 again. <laughs> You're trying to do something you're not supposed to do. You're trying to be someone you're not. By the way, look at verse 17, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. All of those holy days and new moons and Sabbaths and meat and drink stuff, you know what those are? Shadows of the real deal that hadn't come yet. But you're of the what? You're of the body. You're of the real deal. Now, verse 18 is number next one, the last one here. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility. See that? Voluntarily humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which ye have not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That voluntary, don't let someone come along and take away what's yours in Christ. And how do I, how do, how's that going to happen? I'm voluntarily doing what? given in to something else. To, actually, it's really will worship when you get over in verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to satisfying of the flesh. You know what's happening? You're caving to your flesh. You've succumbed. You've left the doctrine of Romans 6. Verse 19, and not holding the head. That's the problem at Colossae, by the way. Verse 8, 19 there, not holding the head. And again, the answer is to stay. Come back with me to Ephesians 6. The answer is to stay and live and function and who you are in Christ. And we learn that in Romans 6, 7, and 8. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil there. Some of that is what we just looked at in Colossians 2 and in Galatians. How's he using? You know, he's not using Budweiser or Coors Light. He's not using the drug of the day. He's using what? Religion. That's where he functions. He's blinded the minds of the lost. How does he do that? With religion. And what are we to do? We're to know how he functions. The wiles, the, 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 the tricks, the, the ability to come in. He's attempt, what's he attempting to do? To separate you from the life of Christ, from the life of grace, from the love of God. Watch verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Two things there. Put on the whole armor of God to stand. Okay? Stand there. The position that God has placed us into is a standing position. Stand there. But then he said, withstand. Now we have to develop the spiritual capacity to resist 
the tactics, the wiles, the fiery darts of the adversary and to not voluntarily move away from who we are in Christ. You see, I, man, I hope you see that. Because what happens is, is life, the adversary has convinced the believer to walk away voluntarily. He's caused you and I to leave the love of God. How? Tribulations, persecutions, distresses, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. That's called life. But he does that because he goes in and he messes with our thinking and how we're to think about life. So when you come back to Romans 8, Think about Romans 6, 7, and 8. we got three minutes. Let's think about this. Paul, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, as he lays in to our foundation, to the foundation of our inner man, the issue here of who we are in Christ. He's encouraging us, 837. He encourages us to be more than conquerors through him that loved us. He's encouraging us to, to get to the place in our thinking that, we can, that nothing can move us away from the love of God. He's getting, us to think about, don't, he's getting us to think about who we are in Christ and concentrating on that and to not live apart from our identity. And if you live apart from your identity in Christ, that is to be separated from the love of God the love of Christ. So think about Romans 6. If I live in the realm of sin, Romans 6, we're what? Dead to sin. But if I live in the realm of sin, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, now can you do that? Yes. Will you lose your salvation? No. Can't happen. Sorry. Okay? But are there consequences to living in the flesh? Yeah. It's called destruction. Okay? It's called shame, shame, shame. Na 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 boo boo. You're it. That will cause me to live apart from, again, if I live in the realm of sin, if I'm fulfilling the lust of the flesh, then I'm living apart from the provisions, the resources provided to me by the love of God, by the love of Christ. By the grace of Christ, by the life that I have, because I have an identity of a co, death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6, 3, 4, and 5. And if I choose to live over here, I have voluntarily walked away from my identity. Think about Romans 7. Romans 7, dead to the law. And if I live under the law system, then I'm living independent of the provisions and the resources that are available to me in Christ. And I'm living, look at 6.14, Romans 6.14. And I'm living under, really, the world system out there. And I'm separated from the love of Christ, the love of God, the grace of Christ, and that life that I'm of victory, of more than a conqueror. Look at Romans 6.14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For we are not under the law, but under grace, under the influence, the direction, the control of. But if I choose to go live under the law, what have I done? I have separated myself. In God's eyes, no distance, but what have I done? I've left that. Think about Romans 8. Come back over there to Romans 8. If I live in the power of my flesh, then I am living independent of the power source that I have, the resource that I have of the Holy Spirit. And I am not able to be a more than conqueror. I will succumb to verse 35. I will look around and go, oh, why bother? Let's close up, sell, and get out. I will have, and I'll do it voluntarily. 
So all of our resources, all of our provisions are in a person. Look at the end of verse 39, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the idea of being separated from the love of God is being separated from the provisions, the resources provided to us and who we are in Christ. And to go and to live any other way just silences all of that sustaining, gripping, life-changing information. It's all done. Okay? Now, next week we'll start chapter 9. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. And we'll give you the praise and the glory and the honor for that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll see.